To learn more about The Church at West Gantt, visit us at www.thechurchatwg.com or visit our Facebook page, and we would love to connect with you. Have a great day. If you're a kiddo this morning and want to head upstairs, you're headed up with Miss Pam and Miss Donna, and uh, y'all are going to have a great time this morning, uh, and we will see you at the end of the service. If you are a big kid and you're staying in the service today, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We have been for a while now in a series called, uh, or a series on rather, um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, talking through the words of Jesus as he stood on a mountainside declaring some truths about his kingdom uh, to a new group of followers, a group of disciples who are going to be following him over the following years. And so uh, this morning we are transitioning out of that and we are going to dive into a new series called God's Story. It's going to take us about 13 weeks or so to get through this series, so we will be in this all the way up until just a couple weeks before Thanksgiving, so buckle in, hold tight, here we go. Uh, we're going to be in it, and we're going to be going pretty deep, but I wanted to give you this morning uh, two things. You're going to get kind of two mini-sermons. Uh, the first one is kind of overall picture of where we're going uh, through this series so that you kind of know what to expect and what to prepare for, what you need to be reading and studying on your own, because I would encourage you uh, to do that. Don't just just show up on a Sunday morning and expect me to give you everything that you need. Uh, that's called spoon feeding, and that is spiritual immaturity. All right, so Monday through Saturday, pick up the spoon, feed yourself a little bit. Uh, but here's where we're going to be going. And then secondly, uh, we're going to dive into kind of the first part of that uh, series and really kind of open up with uh, the beginning uh, of where we're headed. So let me give you the overall picture. God's story uh, this sermon series is going to be about tracking through the story of Scripture literally from Genesis to the book of Revelation, and we're doing it in 13 weeks. I told you, buckle up, here we go. All right, so we're going to cover 66 books of the Bible in 13 weeks, but we're going to break it down into four major headings. We're looking at four big segments of God's story as it relates to us and as we understand it. Uh, and the story that God has given us through his word. And so here's kind of the four main sections. We're gonna begin where we should begin at the beginning. We're gonna talk through the story of creation and we're gonna spend about three weeks studying through this idea of what God did and why he did it and, and, and how we came to be and what our purpose is within God's kingdom through the story of creation. After we spend about three weeks on creation, we're gonna jump to the fall. Uh, this is the, the moment where Adam and Eve took of the fruit and sin entered the world and God's purposes changed and shifted. Uh, the, the plan that he had for mankind was destroyed by uh, our uh, unwillingness to be obedient and to follow his commands. And so we're gonna spend a, a few weeks on the fall and we're gonna kind of talk through the effects of that fall all the way through Cain and Abel. Uh, we're gonna talk about that through Noah uh, and several other stories throughout uh, the Old Testament specific to Genesis, all right? Then we're gonna jump from the fall to this idea of redemption, and we're gonna talk about the idea that God's purpose from that point forward was always to redeem. 
Uh, and so as we study the rest of the Old Testament, literally from about the first, uh, after the first five or six chapters of Genesis, all the way until you get to the New Testament of Jesus Christ as his coming as the Messiah, is the redemptive work of God as he takes what was destroyed in the garden and redeems it, uh, first through temporary purposes, uh, or temporary processes rather, and then through a permanent process through the blood of Jesus. We're gonna spend some time on that. And then lastly, we're gonna get to the idea of restoration. Because redemption isn't the end of God's story, restoration is. See, the garden was created to be a place where we had perfect communion with God in his presence daily. Uh, The redemptive work of Jesus opened a door for us to be able to do that, but we don't see the full restoration of that until we get all the way to the book of Revelation where we find ourselves, the body of believers, restored into perfect unity with God where we can be in his presence physically and worship him. That is the complete cycle of God's story. And so we're gonna spend the next 13 weeks. That's the, that's the big picture, the broad strokes. But we're gonna go deep into each one of these sections. We're gonna dive into them. We're gonna cover stories. We've got uh, major topics. You're gonna get to hear from me and Wes and Will over the next 13 weeks uh, as we've kind of planned out this series. Each one of them is going to get an opportunity to share with you about some topics that they feel important uh, as we walk through this series, things that we've discussed and talked through and prayed over. So that's mini-series and mini-sermon number one uh, is where we're going. But now I want to jump into today. I want you to look with me at Genesis chapter one, verse one. We are starting where all things should in the beginning. Genesis one, Verse one, I just wanna read this one simple verse with you today. It says this, in the beginning, God, pause. In the beginning, God. And if we were to stop there, if, if we were to ignore the rest of all of scripture, this God that we just read about in three words would be a God that deserves glory, honor, and praise. It would be a God who deserves our gratitude, our thankfulness, and our lives because simply he is God. We gotta start there. So before we go anywhere else in God's story, before we go to the fall, before we go to redemption, before we go to restoration, before we understand our problem of sin and our need for his salvation, we gotta pause for just a second and we gotta understand that if God did nothing else, his existence is enough for us to praise him and glorify him as God. In the beginning, God. What did he do? He created the heavens and the earth. This morning, I, I wanna back up and I wanna actually go before Genesis 1-1 and I wanna talk about who God was before creation because as we set the tone for the rest of God's story, everything else in God's story relates back to God's character and who he was even without creation. And so if we can understand who God is and, and who he is today and who he was before the foundations of the earth were formed, then we can understand why the rest of God's story had to take place. But we gotta begin with who is God, what was he doing, what did he look like before creation, and what was the purpose of us? So let's dive in. In the beginning, God. There was a beginning. There was a moment where creation was made. 
But this beginning, it was a beginning for the creation, not the creator. So what was God doing before creation? Who was he? What did he do? Flip with me if you will. We're gonna cover several verses this morning, so get your thumbs warmed up and ready to go. We're gonna look at Psalm chapter 90 and verse two. Psalm chapter 90 and verse two. I want you to see something important about who God is before creation. Psalm chapter 90 and verse two. It reads this way. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Here's point number one this morning. If you're taking notes, here's how it needs to go. Uh, what was God before creation? God is. And I know that's terrible grammar, but it's true about God. What was God before creation? God is. We just read it in Psalm chapter 90, verse two. He says, before the mountains were brought forth, or even before you had formed the earth and the world, listen to this, from everlasting, that means from as far back as forever, and to everlasting, as far forward as forever, you are God. Here's what you need to understand about God. He was not created. He was not breathed into place by some other being. He didn't just snap into existence. God has always been, and that is a challenging thought for finite minds to understand because we look at that and we go, everything has a beginning. Everything has a starting place, but not God. God is from everlasting to everlasting. God simply is. See, I thought about writing in my notes this morning or this week as we were preparing this message and really even over the last couple months as we've been looking through this sermon series as a team and deciding where we were going to go, I, I thought about writing God was. Before time, God was. See, that would make more sense in our English grammar. That would make more sense about, about how we understand time. That, that's in the, in the past, so we need a, a past tense uh, word there. We need something that describes the, the, the past. And, and that is true that for our minds, we think in terms of moment by moment, this sequential sequence of time, but that is not how God operates. God stands outside of time. In fact, we can see from Genesis 1-1 that time is something that was a part of the creation in the beginning. The beginning was the start of that sequential time. But prior to that, God is. God was there. He was there before. He is there now. He will be there long after it is done. God is simply present, and that is difficult for our minds to wrap our, uh, or for us to wrap our minds around, but we have to understand this concept because to be able to get the rest of God's story, we have to understand God's sovereignty. We have to understand that because God is, not was, because God is, he has the ability at any moment to understand the problems that we face every single day. Because God is, he has the ability at any moment to know and to be present in any circumstance, in any issue, in any problem that we come across. God simply is. And so there never comes a point in time where God is not present because God is not a part of that time. He just simply is. So whatever problem you face this week, it's not a surprise to God, he is. Whatever issue you've come across, it's not a problem to God because he is. 
Whatever past you've got that you feel like you've got to struggle to overcome, it's not an issue for God because he is. Whatever thing you're fearful about this week that's coming up that you've got anxiety over, that you've got just pressure in your heart, that, that, that burden that you're bearing this week, that's not something that God can't handle because God is. He was there before that problem ever existed. He is there in the midst of that problem and he will be there long after that problem is solved. God is. See, this changes everything about God's story as well because a lot of times we like to make ourselves the centerpiece of God's story. God came to save us. God came because we messed it up. God restored us because we needed saving. And the truth of the matter is that if we study God's story from an appropriate stance, what we understand is that God's story is simply about him. We are not the centerpiece of God's story. He is. God is. We could jump to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10. It simply says this. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me. No God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. God is. But it wasn't just that God existed. God wasn't just twiddling his thumbs. God wasn't just sitting in some void somewhere going, well, look at this darkness. <laughs> God had some things going on. God wasn't even alone in this moment. We can look at this next part, our point number two, that before creation, God fellowshiped in the Trinity. Look back at Genesis 1, verse 1 with me one more time. We're gonna see how God's presence all three parts of the Trinity are here in the creation. In the beginning, God. The term here for God is God the Father. It is uh, the Yahweh. It is the one who created. It is this Godhead, this, uh, this father figure who is in charge of the creation story. But it is God the Father who we pray to. It is God the Father that we bow before that is God the Father, but he's not the only one there. Look at verse two. It says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the earth. And what was there hovering over the waters? The spirit of God was there hovering over the waters. But it's not just God the Father and it's not just the spirit of God, but we can flip to John uh, chapter 17 and we're gonna find something else. John 17 verse five says this. It says, and now Father, Glorify me, this is Jesus speaking, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is speaking in this passage and he says, hey God, I'm praying to God the Father, but God, would you glorify me with the same glory that I had before you created any of this stuff? So, so here's the deal is that we can see from Genesis 1 and, and John chapter 17, and we could even back up to John chapter 1, where John opens up his gospel and he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We can see that in all of this, there was God the Father, there was God the Spirit, there was God the Son. They were in perfect unity. 
The, the, uh, uh, Roger has been uh, preaching through the, the Trinity way more in depth than I have an opportunity to do this morning, uh, and he has written a, essentially a book uh, on the Trinity that if you want a copy of it, uh, it's everything that he's been teaching on Wednesday nights, and I'm sure that when he wraps that series up, he will let us print some copies and get them to you. But listen, the Trinity is a huge part of what we believe uh, as Christians, It's not that there was just this God the Father who created and then walked away and let the earth do whatever it was gonna do, Uh, but it was the fact that there is this God the Father who created and then inserted himself into his own creation as the Spirit of God and the Son of God, and this whole story plays out, and if we don't understand all three parts of this, uh, this Godhead, we are missing out on a huge part of God's story. But before creation... Both God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existed together in perfect love and in perfect unity. Together they existed. And so here's what we need to understand about this idea of the Trinity. We were not created because God was lonely. You were not created because God was desperate for relationship. God had everything he needed. He had a son whom he loved. He had a spirit. They were in perfect love and in perfect unity. God did not have a need for us in his life. Again, we insert ourselves into the center of God's story and try to make it about us. But it's not. It's not about you. It's not about me. God existed and he existed in perfection in these three persons. So why the need for creation? Why then do we see Genesis 1, 2, and 3? Why do, we, why do we have this story of God creating and then setting these things into motion uh, and, and yes, watching, but also participating in this creation? Why do we see this? There's a verse out of 1 Corinthians that simply reads this way, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, here's the phrase you need to catch. Why did God create? All things were created through him and for him. Why did God create? For his glory. Why did God create? For his purposes. Why did God create? For his pleasure, and we exist for no other reason than that. We exist for his purposes, for his glory, and for his pleasure, and if we are living for any other thing than that in our lives, if we are here to praise God for anything other than those three things, we are here for the wrong reason. We have gathered in this place to worship a God who is is majestic all on his own without us. We were created for him. We we were created that that his grace might be put on display, that his love might be put on display, that something that was already true about him would be displayed, and that changes everything. It changes everything because then we start reading through scripture and we go, well, why did God allow choice in the garden? Why didn't he just create us as, uh, with, without the ability to sin. Why? For his glory. 
Why did God not wipe us out when we did sin and just start all over uh, whenever sin entered the world? Why didn't he just wipe it clean and begin with a new universe? I'll tell you why, for his glory. Why did God create ways for his people to commune with him even after the fall? Why did God come and, and, and communicate with Moses and Abraham and all the patriarchs of the faith? Why did, he, why did he come and he give them directions about how to worship him and praise him and have fellowship with him for his glory? Why did God send his son Jesus to die on a cross for his glory, for his purposes and his pleasure? It's not about me and you. We need to be careful here. God did not create us because he was lacking anything. God did not create you because he sat up in heaven and was going, wow, man, I just, I just wish I had some people. Man, I wish I had a Curtis Thompson. He's not sitting up in heaven going, man, I, I wish I had a, a church in West Gant somewhere that would just, just you know, that, that, that would be cool to have. Like, I just wish I had that. God was lacking nothing. His unity within the Trinity, the love that existed between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we were not created to add to that. We were created to reflect that. And so when we think about our lives, when we think about the creation story, when we think about God's story overall, we need to be very careful in this process not to insert ourselves as the subject of God's story. We are not. Now, that may sound a little depressing to some because we go, but wait, I thought, I thought God loves me. He does, beyond measure. Well, I thought God gave his son for me. He did give his son for you so that he could receive the glory. He did give his son for you so that his love could be put on display. Take yourself out of the middle of the story. So God before creation. God is. <laughs> God before creation, he had fellowship with the Trinity, he had perfect unity with them, but it's not just that, it is this idea of love. I do wanna touch on that this morning. Joshua chapter five, verses 13 and 14 say this. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand, an angel of the Lord. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And I need you to hear the angel's response and understand. Many of you have heard this before and so maybe you're already ahead of me. Joshua stands before the angel of the Lord's army and he says, are you for us or against us? And the angel of the Lord says, no. Wait, hold on. <laughs> you didn't answer the question, angel of the Lord. Are you, are you, are you on my side? Or are you, are you on their side? No. We need to be careful to understand that it's not about God being on our side. It's not about God being on the side of Southern Baptist life. It's not about God being on your side of the political views that you have. 
It's not about God fighting the battles for you because it's your battle. It's about God bringing himself glory. It's about God proclaiming his truth. This angel stands before Joshua and he says, no, (laughs) but I'll tell you what I do want you to do. I've got a word from the Lord that he wants you to follow. Over the following years, Joshua would lead the people of Israel across the Jordan River. They would go into the land of Canaan and they would pursue the the Canaanite people. They would expel them out of the area and they would conquer the promised land that God had for them. A display of God's love. Was he for Joshua? No. Was he against Joshua? No. But he was going to love Joshua. We were not created out of an act of desperation to fulfill some need for God as though he was lacking something. We were created as an act to display his perfect love. Everything that God does in his story is about his love. Everything that God has done in your story is about his love. From day one, from the moment you took your first breath outside of the womb, And even before that, as he knit you together in your mother's womb, every day, every moment was about his love being put on display through you. Many of you know the story of Zeke, and I tell it a good bit, but it's just the most applicable story of God's love that I have to go off of. If you don't know the story of our son, if you're new in the room My youngest son, Zeke, was born extremely premature. He was one pound, 14 ounces. I always get the ounces backwards. Is it 14 or 16? 14. One pound, 14 ounces. We could hold him in one hand. Um, He was born at uh, 26 weeks. Um, We didn't even get to hold him at first. He was born and immediately the doctors took him through C-section. They took him, immediately put him in uh, an incubator. They intubated him, gave him a breathing tube, um, uh, he, one of his lungs wasn't functioning at all, and so they had to put a chest tube in uh, to expel some, uh, some air that had gotten trapped between the lung and the wall. Um, all sorts of fun stuff. We didn't even get to hold him. My, my first experience with my son was a doctor coming around the curtain where Lindsay was laying on the table. He came around the curtain, and he said, would you like to take a picture? And I was like, yeah, I would. And the only thing I had in my pocket was a, uh, at that stage of my life, I, I had a flip phone. And so all I had was a little flip phone, and so I walked around the corner, and I see this, this thing that doesn't even hardly resemble a child, but he's just itty-bitty in this incubator, and he's already got wires and tubes and everything coming off of him, and I, I couldn't even touch him. I, I just had to take a picture through, through the glass of the, the incubator. And then they wheeled him out of the room and immediately took him to the NICU. And we didn't get to see him for another day or two until they allowed us to come down after they got him stable and he was ready to go. And... Um, so I think actually my first experience walking in was with my father-in-law, if I remember right. It was me and you, and I can't remember who else was with us. There was a third person with us. It might have been Jay. I'm not sure. But we walked into the NICU. Lindsay was still healing up in the room, and we walked in, and we see this little baby um, in this incubator, and he's not breathing on his own. He's got a ventilator attached to him and all kinds of things, and, and again, we still can't touch him, and uh, we're just kind of sitting back going, yep, there, there, there he is. That's, that's him. That's, that's, my, that's my son. It wouldn't be for another 10 months before we'd be able to bring Zeke home from the hospital. 
He would spend 10 months in and out of incubators. They would try to take the breathing tube out. He wouldn't breathe on his own. They'd have to put the breathing tube back in. They, they tried several times. In fact, one account that is, is the, the darkest day for me as a father. Uh, we stood in the NICU, and <clears throat> it, was, uh, it was by my request. The doctors had already determined they were going to do a trach, and I didn't want to do the trach. And so I asked him, I said, just give him one more chance. Pull the breathing tube out and see if he can do it on his own before we decide to do the trach. And so at my request, they, they honored that. They brought Zeke in, and uh, they, they had an a, a ENT there. They had a couple nurses. They had a couple different doctors who were there specialized in watching, and they pulled the tube out. This was at about four months old, and they pulled the tube out, and he only lasted about 15 minutes before his numbers started declining. And uh, so they made the determination he's not going to make it. We need to put the tube back in. They, they slide, start to slide the tube back down into his throat, and Zeke clamped down, which means his airway closed off completely. They couldn't get the breathing tube back in. And so in this moment, as I'm watching my son on this table in this, this box, airway clamps off, the numbers decline, and what, what had been two or three doctors or nurses, all of a sudden it was 16 of them, 18 of them, 20 of them piled around this table. They break out this backboard and they put it up underneath them, which if you don't know what that is, it's just a, a firm board where they can start doing CPR. My son is dying in front of me. And I'm the only one in the room, family-wise. And so I, I get pushed back by the doctors. I can't even see them at this point. I'm all the way at the back. All I can see is a monitor where I can see his numbers, and they're dropping, and they're dropping real fast. And, and, and I was okay, and I was all right up until one of the nurses turned around and looked at me. It was a, uh, actually a, a respiratory therapist who we, we loved. He was a great guy, and uh, he knew our family well, and we'd spent a lot of time with him as we were in and out of the hospital. And in that moment, man, he turned around and looked at me and saw what was going on on my face, and so he stopped what he was doing, left Zeke's side, and came over to me, and he was like, buddy, are you all right? I was like, I'm fine, focus on him. Like, I'm all right, like, get him back. And I watched my son die on that table that day. And I watched them bring him back multiple times. Like, watched the screen and watched the heart rate just bottom out. Watched the oxygen in his blood just zero. And I remember asking God the question, like, where are you right now? Why aren't you intervening? Like, why aren't you taking care of this child? And, and, and I remember putting myself in the middle of God's story and going, God, where, where are you? And, and you're supposed to show up and you're supposed to fight my battles for me and you're supposed to do all of these things. And yet here we were in the NICU watching this play out. They eventually got his airway open. They got a breathing tube in and he recovered and we obviously made the call at that point. We won't do that again. Give him a trach. And so about a month later, after he had plenty of time to recover, they did a surgery to put a trach in and a feeding tube, permanent feeding tube, and um, a couple other procedures kind of all in one day. And um, still a few months later, 10 months in, that we got to bring him home from the hospital. But even then, he was strapped to all kinds of stuff. In fact, his first service here First church service ever was a Christmas Eve service. We sat about where the walker is at the back of the room right there, and we didn't want to come any further into the room 
because we had a stroller with Zeke in it and we had all of his equipment attached to it, oxygen tanks and ventilators and extra supplies in case something went wrong. And the ventilator was super loud. Like, I don't know if anybody was in the room that night, but it's like, whoosh, like you can hear it breathing for him. And, and it would alarm. If anything went wrong, this ventilator would start beeping and it would go crazy. And it was like, oh, and it was super like anxious for us as a family because we're not trying to disrupt a Christmas Eve service. And so we're sitting back here trying to like be quiet and protect it, but he's just, we're just nervous. God, God, where are you? Where are you in this process? Why can't I see your love? Why can't I, why can't I see what you're doing? Why can't you heal my son? Why can't you fix this process? Like, why me, God? Like, why is our family the one that's having to go through this? Like, why us as a couple? Why are we dealing with what's happening here? Why not somebody else, God? Years go by, a couple years, and Zeke finally gets to get the trach taken out. And if y'all didn't see him this morning, he's running around somewhere. No medical supplies, no ventilators, no tubes, no nothing except for a feeding tube that we still have to give him some food overnight with, but hopefully that's gone soon. It's a miracle. But here's what I've come to realize in the process with Zeke. I make myself and my family the center of God's story way too often. And I go, God, fix this problem for me. God, fix this issue that I'm facing today because I need you. You're the God who spoke the world into existence. You're supposed to be sovereign, God. Like, you have control and full authority over all of this stuff. Like, can you just fix it, God? But that's the wrong attitude to bring before the God who spoke the world into existence, who existed long before it, who existed for his plans and his purposes and his pleasure. What I should bring to the table, even in those darkest moments, is a plea to God to say, God, would you get the glory out of this situation? Because God has gotten so much glory out of the life of my son, who's only six years old, coming up on seven. But every time I tell his story, God's name is made great. Every time I declare about what God did in that moment, a child who should have died before he was ever born and how God brought him into this world and how God protected him and provided for him and even in the midst of where I was just struggling and, and wrestling with my beliefs and, and, my, and my faith in God, God continued to restore and redeem and bring back and, and give life and, and provide every breath my son gave. And every time I tell that story, God gets glory. And so the purpose the purpose of that story in my life was not necessarily that I would just feel the love of God, but that God's name would be made great. So what are you facing? What is it that you deal with that you've been so far kind of putting yourself in the middle of going, hey God, can't you just fix this for me? Maybe today you need to turn your attitude a little bit and go, hey, it's not just about God, would you fix it, but God, would you get the glory out of whatever circumstance I'm in the middle of? God, would your purposes be made clear in the midst of this situation? God, would you get the pleasure, whatever that means for you? Because you're God. You are. I'm just a part of the creation. As we walk through this story of God, we're going to see over and over and over again about stories from Scripture that sometimes 
we try to insert ourselves into. We get to, I was listening to a message the other day that was really good about David and Goliath and about how we read the story of David and Goliath and we immediately assume that we're David. We immediately assume that like, hey, if we're gonna apply this story, we're David and we've got some giants that we're facing and we gotta go take on the giants. Do you know that that's an improper application of the story of David and Goliath? You are not David. Jesus is David. He took on sin and death and conquered it. We're the army of Israel sitting on the banks in fear, unsure and unaware of what to do. Jesus steps in and solves the problem for us. But we're going to see many stories like that where we tend to put ourselves in the middle of it. And what I want to encourage us as we study this series is that, man, we need to take ourselves out of the middle. We need to put God where God belongs. We need to turn the glory, the honor, and the praise back to him. We need to understand that the purpose of his story was not for our pleasure and our good, but for his. And so we're gonna talk a lot about that over the coming weeks. This morning, I just wanted to set the stage for that. Next week, you're gonna get to hear from Wes. I'll be on the marriage retreat with uh, several of our couples and Wes will be here and uh, he'll be preaching through the actual creation story, at least the first five or six days of it. and Walking through how God began to put those pieces into place. But before we ever get there and before any of that story takes place, I just wanna challenge you this morning as we wrap up and sing a song. Is there a, a place where we need to remove ourselves out of? Is there a situation in our lives that we need to get out of the middle of and just give God the glory for? Is there something that we have allowed ourselves to to take center stage on that God should have already had? Duncan, why don't you come lead us in a song? I'm gonna pray for us. If you need to pray over anything, I'm gonna be over here on the right side this morning. Would love for you to come pray with me or the altar's open if you wanna pray here or if you wanna pray where you are, that's perfectly fine as well. But let's pray together. And we're going to praise this God who deserves all the glory and the honor. Let's pray. Father God, before me, you are. Before I existed, God is. And because of that, God, I I do declare your sovereignty this morning. This creation, God, everything in this room, every person that sits in a pew, every breath we take, God, it is yours. It is for your purposes and for your glory and for your pleasure that we exist. So God, this morning we just make your name great. God, we declare your name as higher than any other name, as above any other name. And God, if there's any part of our lives where we have tried to take center stage, if there's any part of our lives where we've taken the pedestal, God, show us that, God, that we would step out of the way and just let you have the glory. God, if there's a a problem we're facing, a circumstance that we're in the middle of, where we just can't see your plans and your purposes, God, I pray that we would just trust this morning that whatever the plan and the purpose is, it's for your glory. And because you are sovereign and because you are loving, we can trust it. We can trust that it is going to turn out exactly how you desire it to turn out. And we can trust your word when it tells us that that'll be for our good. God, we thank you 
we thank you that you display your love through us. But we thank you that you did create us, not for something that you were lacking, but so that you would have a way to show it. We thank you for how you have lavished your love on us over our lifetime. God, we give you the glory for that. God, I don't know, maybe there's somebody in the room this morning that's got just a a spot of bitterness, Father, that they've kind of been holding on to for a while. Where God, maybe they just got angry with you. Maybe they they just couldn't trust you with a circumstance. Maybe they just, they couldn't hand it over to the God who spoke the universe into existence. Or maybe they just felt like you didn't show up like you should have. They prayed and they sought after you and you just... You weren't there the way they thought you should have. And so they've, they've allowed that to take root in their lives. They've, they've let that sink deep into their heart, God. They've allowed that to take root. God, I pray this morning that you would perform some surgery this morning and take that out of them. That you would remind them that your plans are perfect. They are for your purposes and your glory, your pleasure. And that through your love, God, we experience you. God, whoever that may be this morning, I just pray that you would send your spirit to work on that. God, or maybe there's one in the room who've, maybe they've replaced you for them when it even comes to their worship. They come into church and they go, well, it's it's about what I want. It's about whether or not the pastor said something that pleased me. It's about whether or not I I got what I wanted out of the service time or the prayer times or Sunday school or life groups or it's about whether or not somebody met my needs. God, I pray this morning you would do a work in that person as well, God. That you would remind them that they're not the centerpiece of your story that we didn't show up this morning for those purposes. But we came, Father, to just give you glory. We came, Father, to give you back what was already yours. We came, Father, to make your name great. We came, Father, to praise you. We came to put you at the center centerpiece. And as long as that has happened this morning, God, we've accomplished what we should have done. Maybe, Father, there's somebody in here that's been living their life seeking to create their own story. They've been trying to make their name great this whole time. They've been trying to climb the corporate ladder. They've been trying to to amass things. They've been trying to put themselves on display and create a reputation and and be a certain person and, and make their name just this glorified thing. God, would you just remind them that before they ever were, God, you are. Would you remind them, Father, that they don't have those things except that you have created and you have blessed and you have loved. God, would you help us all this morning to put you back in the middle? 
of your story where you belong. And we'll give you all the glory, honor, and praise us. Do your name.